Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. The first major advancement in the evolution of the human species was the transition from hunter-gatherers to an agricultural society. The ability to grow and store food enabled a number of important facets ranging from advanced technology to war. The next milestone is marked by industrialization, where fewer individuals directly participate in agricultural production. Today, industrial farming reigns, and the latest advancement is customized seeds, or GMOs. The two types of GMOs we're going to talk about today are those that are increasing the yields for profit, or have some special thing about them that are only for increasing profit yields, whatever happened to be, we'll go into more detail later. And the second is GMOs that are created to benefit society. I, I honestly don't have any issues with with GMOs if it's done in the way that is scientifically beneficial to everybody else in society, right? Creating corn that grows shorter or has a less water dependency to grow in more drought-stricken areas, no problem with that. Creating corn that doesn't actually germinate until you pour a pesticide on it? Yeah, I have a real fucking problem with that. Are you telling me that profitability is not beneficial to society? I am telling you that one of the major themes in this podcast is that profitability is the leading cause of death under capitalism. So we have this first type of GML, which is increasing yields or some profitable derivative of some crop. So when we say GMOs, what we're talking about is genetically modified organisms, which is taking a, a seed effectively and genetically engineering it. GE is another acronym that's commonly used in the field. So genetically engineering or genetically modifying some existing crop to have some attribute. So in, in the, the first class we talk about, it has some attribute that makes it more profitable. So in the case of corn, if you're corn corp, and your entire goal is to make genetically modified organisms that increase the yield of corn, your profit motive is derived from having more corn. You don't necessarily care about what the ecological effects of that are. You want more corn so that you can have your purchasers produce more ethanol, so that you can export ethanol to China, so that you can make money. The other classification of GMOs is some societal benefit. So like you said, it can increase yields in drought-stricken areas. It can utilize less water. Sometimes you can impregnate additional resources. Uh, the canonical example of this is golden rice, which is infused with beta-carotene, which addresses blindness issues in developing countries. So when people say stuff like, oh, I hate GMOs, it can mean a number of things. Our general position is that GMOs are a tool of science, and like every tool of science, it can be used for both good and bad. In the first case, you have profitable corporations exploiting the environment for profit. Bad. Second case, you have science being used to increase society's capability by providing food to areas that would otherwise have food scarcity, by providing certain nutrients to disadvantaged populations. That shit's all good. And let's talk about the ecosystem, about the GMOs for profit, right? We can talk about, you know, why GMOs are bad and scream at it, but I think you need a holistic viewpoint of, of how the process normally works. And there are two types of groups that, that care about the GMOs, and those are the suppliers of the seeds, those that are creating the GMO crops, 
And then there are those that grow the GMO crops. And both of those are in parity to one another. So as demand goes up, they need more seeds. So the seed has to be there. So what about corn corpse seeds that make them kind of shitty? Well, in this case, they may uh, create the GMO not because it's going to increase yields, but because they want to make it so that it's pesticide ready or make it so that it doesn't germinate unless there's a certain chemical reaction in the soil. Why? Then the farmer can determine when they want things to germinate. That's the argument, right? You, you can plant seeds whenever you want to, but you don't get germination until you need it. But really what's going on is you lock in that farmer to having to have that chemical cocktail in, in place. And the other part that goes along with this is that if you are let's say a large fast food company and you need more potatoes, you may lean on your providers to have a special GMO crop in their fields in order to produce what you want, or in this case, corn. So if you're going to use them for packing peanuts, there may be a certain species of corn that you have to have in order to get the most pop for the packaging, whatever it happens to be. In which case, your suppliers are going to have to buy from Corn Corp because they're the only ones that have the seeds. And you raised an important point by mentioning packing peanuts. So when people talk about GMOs, the first inclination in a lot of people's minds is to say food. But GMOs in the current industrial agricultural complex have very little correlation to actually human consumable food. I mentioned earlier about ethanol exports. And in the U.S., corn is the number one crop by acre. And roughly a third of all corn grown in the U.S. is used for ethanol. So the human consumable subset of crops grown in the U.S. is minute relative to the industrial applications for stuff like ethanol, which is corn refined into alcohol, which is then used as a gasoline derivative or substitute or additive, depending on what your use case is. Uh, you have stuff like corn being used for feed of other animals, which then have industrial uses. And then you have stuff like packing peanuts. So corn and soybeans, they're used to make some plastics. So GMOs that grow plants are not directly used for food consumption. They have industrial applications. And if you're a manufacturer of packing peanuts, you want to make sure that you're using Corn Corp's product because Corn Corp's product has the best properties related to your packing peanut production. Absolutely. And this makes another, another great point, which is because it's for profits and it's for the market, uh, I don't remember the corn drought that happened a few years ago in which cattle was dying at a high rate because they couldn't get enough feed. They were like, oh, we got to feed the, the the cattle gummy bears and all this weird Halloween candy, all this shit to keep their weight up. Cows aren't even evolved to eat corn. They're supposed to eat grass. But given that they are fed corn, a drought will typically cause corn prices to increase. And as corn prices increase, so too does the cost of feed. And as the cost of feed increases, profitability of raising cattle declines so farmers look to other means to sustain their cattle and their profitability because now you actually have two groups of capitalists fighting over the production of corn and it's all market driven because you're getting more money by making ethanol than you would feeding these fat fucking cows that are shooting out methane all day long and then the, the farmers that are growing cows that are raising cows are mad because they can't get feed. Well, guess what? Market prices dictate it, just like what's happening, you know, in Texas. If you're if you're bound by the market, you live and die by the market. And you don't get to complain about it. So, so back back to the farmers' requirements and, and the other the other requirements of these GMOs. So, if if Corn Corp wants to a change the formulation or b charge you more money, guess what? You don't have anything to say about it. 
you can't throw back heirloom corn back on the field because chances are the chemical cocktails that were needed to grow this corn are not something that non-GMO corn can handle. Meaning GMOs may strip the land of different chemicals at a higher rate. So now you have to inject different fertilizers at different ratios to keep the GMOs going which means it's no longer able to sustain any other crop in that field because crop rotation is no longer a thing because you're reliant on the chemical cocktail for productivity, not you know natural ways to, to keep the soil healthy. So one of the fundamental concepts in farming traditionally has been this rotation of soybeans and corn. And we're not going to get into this deeply, but the idea is that one depletes nitrogen, the other one uses nitrogen. And this has been deeply studied the canonical research was done by the University of Illinois over a 20-year period where they suggested that you rotate soybeans and corn in some basis of one-year increments because it does the best at repurposing the nitrogen in an environmentally friendly way where you don't get wastewater runoff and have nitrates and have effectively negative outcomes that are hazardous to the environment and to people in large concentration. Exactly right. So what are some other things that happen when you have you know, large amounts of fertilizer injection, right? Potential for groundwater contamination, like you said. There's normally erosion issues because you're ripping out all the leftovers in order to make sure that there is nothing hanging out, right? You got to till it under. Uh, and then you also need to apply pesticides because your yields require that there are no pests and your yields require that there are no other things like weeds. So now you have a combination of toxic fertilizers and toxic pesticides and herbicides that are basically being injected into the first three to six inches of land and sprayed on top of the plants in order to increase these yields. Which means now that you have absolute chaos in the land when it comes to insects and birds and animals and things that are supposed to be in the ground naturally. There are several pesticides and herbicides. So herbicides are chemicals that kill plants that are used generally in the United States to kill plants and kill pests associated with corn and soybeans and other industrial crops. And the reason you use this is because pests and weeds strip resources from your main crop and decrease yields. And it used to be that some of these tasks were done by manual labor where people would literally walk the fields and pull weeds. That's not necessary anymore. So reducing labor costs is a good thing in the profitability concept. Uh, what's even cheaper is to just drive through your field with a giant tank and dump chemicals on the ground and have your corn magically grow. So this is good for profitability of the seed makers of Corn Corp. It also in some way, shape, or form helps the farmers initially, but there are some longer-term repercussions that are incurred by farmers when they lock in to these GMOs. Yeah, it's it's and it's not good for any any farming outfit to be locked in any one crop long term. There's things like market fluctuations, but there's also this sort of resource constraint that happens in which being locked in means that you are at the whims of your suppliers. Suppliers of your chemicals, suppliers of your seeds, the buyers, and now you have no ability to adjust to the market because you know, obviously under capitalism there's a market because you are locked into one particular crop. And you're probably good at it, except that when there's a drought or when there is a shortage of something else, you can't respond because you're locked in. It also means that you know you might lose three inches of topsoil every year, and so your ground may only be good for another seven or eight years because you are working it so hard. Like There is a life expectancy on good farming soil that comes from having soil. And if you are just ripping it and trying to grow as much as you can out of it, 
you know, that all that, that earth that was put there through years of, of decaying things and animals goes away. And you have to either replace it or find yourself some new farmland. And what happens if you can't find new farmland? Everything you've been doing your entire life is gone. What happens if you've been spraying pesticides that are carcinogenic? Eventually, you get cancer. Or your, or your hands get cancer, like your people on your on your farm that are helping you. And, and additionally, you know, a lot of times when you have higher yields too, and this is just a negative rant and everything, the higher yields require special equipment because now you have much higher yields packed far and tied together. So you can't actually potentially use traditional farming methods to take them out. You have to then go ahead and rent the bigger combines, the bigger silos, the bigger storage areas. So there's actually a lot more capital involved too once you decide that you want to play the bigger yield game. And along the lines of being locked in, you're locked in for a couple of reasons. You're locked in because your farming ecological system becomes dependent on a certain set of characteristics found in the seed. It becomes dependent on the pesticide or herbicide-ready crops that are activated when they're applied and they're immune to certain characteristics of whatever herbicide or pesticide you're going to use. These are called pesticide-resistant or herbicide-resistant crops. And the other issue is that when you start using these genetically modified seeds, they start crossbreeding, and you don't actually own the patent on the seeds, so you, you don't have the ability to use the seed that's grown. You have to turn around and buy seed from a corporation. Yes, you lost your first sale principle, thanks to John Roberts and the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court sided with Monsanto, meaning that you don't get no longer get the right of first sale on seeds, which basically meant if you went and harvested seed from the your area, you could use them again and again and again because you basically owned the byproduct, you owned the corn that came out of the ground. So that Monsanto ruling basically made so any genetically modified organism that came from a seed that reproduces itself into that same seed pattern is held through a patent and you can't you can't sell it you can't do anything with it without the permission from the patent holder this case is bowman versus monsanto and it was a unanimous decision in 2013 so you grow corn that corn germinates the tassels on top turn into seeds you would typically go through and collect the seeds and potentially plant those seeds again next year and then you don't have to buy seeds but you can't do that anymore because you don't own the seeds they're owned by the producer of the seeds even though you grew the corn on your land with your resources with the seed you bought from the manufacturer yeah you basically just like software no longer own it you're just leasing it from the software provider in this case you're just leasing it from the seed provider same exact um, mentality there there's some controversy about whether the business practices of the various seed manufacturers we're talking about corn corp are actually detrimental from a scientific point of view. So do these pesticides, do these herbicides actually cause negative human repercussions? And recently there's been a string of lawsuits where various different corporations have been found guilty of effectively misleading the public and juries have awarded nine digits to people impacted by directly linked usage of herbicides and pesticides. This happened in several states recently. The state of California has declared that many of these pesticides are known to the state to cause cancer. They're starting to become a bit of a scientific consensus that these chemicals are probably harmful. But there's also this facade that they're not. So why is that? Propaganda, baby. Are you telling me propaganda works? Propaganda works. If you don't think propaganda works... 
uh, I don't even know how to talk about it because there there is so much great examples. Not wearing a mask, right? You take away my rights. Um, lizard people control the earth. Chemtrails are bad. Joe Biden is going to do something and give you two thousand dollars. Yeah, Joe Biden doesn't have dementia. It's just a stutter. Things like GMOs are not bad. Corn syrup's not bad. Smoking isn't bad, right? I mean, it's the same playbook. PFOAs are not bad. MTBE, which I think was additive in gasoline, isn't bad for you, right? It's just there's so many things that they say are not bad, and it's because they hire groups of individuals who have, I guess, PhDs or experience in the field to ghostwrite and shill out nonsensical articles and, and podcasts like us and um, blog posts, and they get on Twitter and they rant about insanity because they need to basically create a public perception that there's controversy or there's questions about the legitimacy of everything. And how this works is it's called ghostwriting or there's this, you know, it's, it's basically academic research that's happening where essentially a lobbyist or a company spokesperson helps somebody write an article and they help them get published. How this works is that normally there's either A, um, a, uh, a donation given to them, normally in the form of a unrestricted donation, which means they don't have to use it for anything. So unrestricted gift in academia means you don't have to hire a grad student. You can use it to pay yourself a quarter or a teaching semester. So you normally have to do teach two or three or four classes, depending on your contract at any university, even if you're a researcher. What you try to do is you try to get research funds that you can pay off a quarter or semester, whatever you're on, or pay off one class a semester, which is basically your wage for teaching that semester. So an unrestricted gift allows any faculty member to pay off their semester in money, real real dollars, so they don't have to work. So they're essentially paying themselves to do nothing all, the whole semester. So if a, if a corporation gives somebody an un, unrestricted gift, it's essentially a bribe, a legal bribe, for them to write biased articles for them. And why it's not illegal is because there is scientific truth behind the document. Because what they do is they narrow the scope of the research so much that there's there's no way it can be a lie. It's just written in a way that's either confusing or, or legally misleading. It's not necessarily it's a direct handout in some regards. Sometimes it occurs through grants. Sometimes it occurs through funding. Uh, we'd really like to support this project by donating 50% of your budget. Oh, great. Thanks. I really appreciate this. I'll be sure to help you out on the research that I write as a result of this project that you just funded. There's an indirect payment. There's a wink, wink and a nudge, nudge. Happens all the time not just related to GMOs, but to a, a number of commercial fields where academia has incentives to carry water for capital effectively. The The scenario is, is actually pretty straightforward. Corn Corp needs good PR, and you're a young researcher who just got your professorship somewhere, actually assistant professorship because that's the lowest person on the totem pole. Actually, lecturer is, and then actually go a little lower and graduate lecturer is, the graduate student teacher or research assistant. So, so you're above a lecturer, but you're below the associate and you're below the full professor. But you need to get tenure because if not, you have to move on to a new school because there's no reason for you to be there if you can't do what the school asks you to, which is published four or five papers a year, uh, which is bring in three or four times your starting package. So in this case, half a million dollars starting package, you got to bring in $2 million of funding. You have to be known in your field as an expert, etc. So how can you jumpstart that if you're in the field of agriculture? Well, Corn Corp comes knocking on your door. We know that you are into corn. We'd like to help you. 
Here are some of our newest corn seeds. Here's some of our newest chemicals. We'll pay for a field for you to investigate on. We'll pay for your graduate researchers. We'll pay for funding for you to go to um, any conference that you want to. We're going to bring you out for training. Right, we're going to bring you on to the, the GMO board so you can get your name on it. In fact, we're going to promote you up and, and hope that you become an editor of one of the local journals, etc., etc., etc. They basically take you under their wing and they, they pimp you up as much as you can so you can bring in that $2 million. And what's the cost? To them, it's zero. They don't give a shit. It's peanuts. You're a $60 billion company, $100 billion company, and you're going to pay a professor $2 million to basically sow misinformation out there? I mean, it's legal information. It's, it's ethical, right? Yeah. It's an investment in our future and your future. Yet together, we're possible. We can go places together. So one of the good examples of this academic research that is used to peddle commercial products is this idea that you can't prove a negative. So how do you prove that something doesn't cause cancer? It's very difficult. Yep. So the opposite of that is proving that something causes cancer. So you can write a study and it can be fatally flawed because it's very hard to prove a negative, but you can say, I exposed mice to this chemical and they didn't get cancer. And then you can very technically correctly say, in my study, I exposed mice to this chemical and they didn't get cancer. And then you get some dumbass that's carrying water at the local paper will read the, the academic article headline and be like, Oh, well, this doesn't cause cancer. So you didn't say it. Corn Corp didn't say it. But there's a newspaper published by some major newspaper that says it doesn't cause cancer. Mission accomplished. Put up the banner, get to the aircraft carrier. We're making a speech. And this doesn't just happen to be this extreme either. This can be leaking information to a blogger or somebody that thinks they know what the hell they're talking about, or just going on to social media and having somebody challenge continuously other people's posts. It also means getting ahead of lawsuits and attempting to pay out settlements so that nobody actually has to do discovery. Because discovery is where all the information is found. It also means putting in place very strict um, purging events at your work so that you only keep data for six months. So Corn Corp, as a company, only keeps emails and anything stored on its network drives for... Six months, unless, of course, it's deemed for regulatory purposes only, which nothing gets deemed that way because the regulatory affairs officer always comes through and says nothing here is is regulated, except for the small little niche things that they regulate out. Everything else gets purged. And they've accomplished these feats through lobbying by saying, hey, we don't want to keep any of this because then we might be liable in the future. So if you could you know, tone down the regulatory requirements for keeping some of this information, that would be great. Yep. Okay. Done and done. So there's a number of reasons why GMOs used by large agricultural industrial companies do not benefit the public good. But there are benefits to GMOs that do benefit the public good. And most of these don't have a profit motive. So you never hear about them and nobody attempts to advance their benefit. few examples of when GMOs are great is when they actually go after a known problem. Like seedless grapes. That might be a dumb example, but... Grapes are on your table right now because they are crossbred, and we're gonna. I'm considering crossbreeding kind of a subsection of GMOs because they are they were tailored to have that flavoring, right? They're tailored to have the sweetness, and they are tailored not to have seeds. Were they genetically modified? No, ninety 
97% or 95%, some high, high 90s of actual crops that have been what we call modified or all through crossbreeding. It's not like they <laughs> do the genome and inject anything. There are a couple that have, and those are people who have spliced in magical pesticide genomes, but most things are done through crossbreeding. So there are things, again, like cotton candy grapes that taste like cotton candy, the sweetest shit that tastes good. There are special apples that taste really good, Honeycrisp, great tasting apple, and that's from 50 years of research of crossbreeding a heterogeneous crop like an apple until they got the best one, and then they clone them out. Now, the reason why they did it is because they wanted money. So I think it was the University of Minnesota that made them. Okay, so University did it. They're making money off the patent or the license of whatever it is off of them. So there is still a money to be gained there. But it still is funding the Agricultural Society of Minnesota or whatever the hell it is you know, that that's pushing this out there. So it's almost like a nonprofit. So it's it's still profit motivated, but it's not as terrible of it. But there's also things that are drug resistant or attempting to make it so that it's deer resistant. So they don't want to eat it or insect resistant, right? Or shallow root systems. So you don't have to penetrate the soil so much. Or let's say pine trees or hardwoods that grow twice as fast. So you can harvest them for paper, not take out the rest of the forest. Now that's still profit motivated, but in a very controlled setting, it's not bad for society because they're attempting to grow something that that much faster, potentially cleaner. Now, a lot of it has to do with making these for profit because, again, under capitalism, there is no free lunch anywhere. It pisses us off. But imagine, imagine a world in which we had no capitalism and people were focused on creating good shit. I bet we could come up with better crops than what we have now. Like we wouldn't need corn for like ethanol all day long to make a 10% modifier. And arguably, we shouldn't be producing ethanol at all, but that's kind of a side discussion. So two other good examples are watermelons. Growing up, oh, you yeah. probably remember watermelons. They had the big black seeds, and you'd see how far you could spit them. If you had a watermelon recently, they don't have seed. Yep. They're, they're effectively gone. So over the course of, let's say, 30 years, the consumer-grade watermelons don't have seeds anymore. That's a desirable trait. So far as I know, this is not having a giant ecological impact because the you know, watermelon crop is not splashed in herbicides and pesticides so that they grow better or something. No, they genetically modified the watermelon plant so that it didn't have seeds. That's a desirable trait. Another good example, I talked about it in the intro, was golden rice. In, I'm going to say Southern Asia, there's an issue with beta-carotene shortness, which leads to blindness, and rice is largely consumed in those areas, so a genetic modification of rice was added that has beta-carotene in it, which reduces blindness. That's a phenomenal societal benefit. Nobody's massively profiting off of this. They're injecting this rice into the already existing ecosystem. It, as far as I know, grows in place. There's no great onerous growing responsibility associated with this different genetically engineered plant versus the plant that didn't have beta carotene in it so that that is a good thing and that is an example of gmos being used to benefit society and there was also no giant profit motive in this no big corporation made money from doing this and, and that's exactly the issue with corporatism and gmos is that corporations capitalism pervert the system so much that the only response that most people have is a visceral hatred for them because they see what the negative impacts are from gmos from corn corp that are linked to pesticide herbicide usage fertilizer usages that are bad for them they know there's something fundamentally wrong with the way they're being grown so then the public immediately turns negative on it because that's the only response. You can either lick the boots of corporations like a neoliberal would, or you turn the other way and say this is bad. In fact, even like libertarians and shit hate GMO crops because they lost control of the farms. 
The, the even the base of the of the conservative fuckfaces don't like GMOs because they're not profitable unless you are a big large scale farming venture. If you're libertarian and you just want free market everything, farming would look very different. Is that accurate? Yeah, because I mean, at some point in time, the libertarians have to shit or go out the pot, and so neoliberals when it comes to you know free market capital, they can't bitch about the free market and then go ahead and form farming co-ops. You get people from these writer-ish political ideologies where they continuously advocate for the free market having the right answer. But in the case of Corn Corp, it's not a free market in any way, shape, or form. Not at all. It's controlled by several corporations. Each of these corporations has complete unilateral power to effectively do whatever the fuck they want. There's been concentration amongst these corporations relatively recently, where they're all effectively in a consortium together, uh, developing genetically modified organisms. And this leads to absolutely no consumer choice if you're a farmer. You, you can't not buy genetically modified organisms at this point. And how is that beneficial to your entire fucking livelihood? It, it's not, is the answer. It's not. And this goes around with the entire farming ecosystem. The reason why it's so perverted, because you're used to buying it. You know, your circle O's in the morning are made with GMOs. Your bread is all GMO'd. The wheat has been crossbred until the fact that gluten is so heavy in the wheat that you can, like, raise bread in, like, 30 seconds. Like, it's, it's crazy. People that have gluten, like, intolerances right now is because there is so much gluten in wheat right now literally designed for bread manufacturing on a large scale. Why? Because you don't want to go to a bakery and go buy your bread made by some asshole with giant forearms who's kneading bread all day. You want to go to the store, buy a loaf of bread that lasts on your shelf for two and a half weeks. And that's because capitalism is bleeding your time and energy dry because you have to work 50 hours a week. So the entire ecosystem and every single thing about society is driven to the need of having high yield crops that last a long time on the shelves. Because we don't have a society that's built around fundamentally around each other, it's all individualism. It's the fact that you have to go to the store to get white bread so you can eat a shitty peanut butter and jelly at your desk while you're slamming food in your mouth because you got to report for your boss about some dumbass thing that nobody gives a shit about that's going to get not even read or looked at. And they're going to thanks to the pie chart, asshole, and then you go back to work. So, so what can you do about this? Really? At the national level? nothing which is fucked up sick to say and, and cynical and it really comes down to can can you afford to actually not buy gmos if you're listening to this you probably can't afford to do anything because it costs money not to buy gmos it costs money to buy heirloom it costs money to buy specialty crops it costs money to buy organic crops it costs money to go to the farmer's market in time that's all that's just a negative i have i really have nothing to add about that because there's nothing you can do so we talked at the very start about there being two types of GMOs. And I'm going to say that the first category, which is the corporate profit-driven category, is largely for industrial uses. And the second type is largely for human consumption. Our point of view is that knowing what's in your food is important. And if you can afford to buy organic food that you can have some reasonable certainty was not produced with genetically modified pesticide-derived, profit-driven farming, that's about the only thing as a consumer you can do. Otherwise, you just have to eat shit, support better farming policy locally if that's something that you can even feasibly do. Yep. A lot of farming policy is driven federally, and you see people like Tom Vilsack getting appointed as the farming 
secretary. And 92 senators vote for him, even though he's a giant, big egg ghoul. Piece of shit through and through. He is exactly what we said Biden would do. So what can you do, really? If you have interest in local farming, 100%, that's great. If you're interested in growing in your own house, it's a good time to start seeds is right now. A good time to buy planters are in April. Get outside, try to plant and grow your own food. There's local extensions for most universities in the world that have agriculture help. If you have the money, try to buy organic or buy local. If And that also means visiting potentially cooperatives or non-traditional shops. If you have time in the summertime, go to your farmer's market. Maybe join a CSA. Uh, CSA stands for, as I go slowly in search, a community uh, support agriculture. Uh, it's an attempt to get you food baskets for whatever you sign up for, $20 a week, whatever it happens to be, and you get locally sourced produce. Uh, you can try to find food stands out in your local areas to support with cash money. Any attempt to break away from the cycle is what will keep us you know, fighting for the future. It really is breaking the ag cycle that we have now because we, we can't afford ecologically to keep pumping mass chemicals in. Working with the earth is what we have to do. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.